Hello. Thanks for listening to our Fusion Sermon Podcast. Fusion is a worshiping community within Hardawike Ministries. We gather at 1030 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Hardawike campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Fusion community and Hardawike Ministries, please visit hardawike.com. We are continuing to work our way through a sermon series, Believe. We've been considering some of the core truths that the Bible teach. What does it mean to think like Jesus? And so we've, we've, we've tackled some big questions so far in this series. Who is God? What is salvation? What is the Bible? Uh, we kind of started looking at ourselves. And so my identity, who I am in Jesus Christ. But what are we as the church a few weeks ago? And then last week, we kind of broadened that out and looked at humanity. What, what does the Bible teach us about uh, the human spirit? species, all of people. And if you remember last week, we, we remembered that all people are created in the image of God. So every single human being who lives on this earth, right, created in the image of God. And there's this reality of sin that's at play in the world that impacts all of us as well. And last week, we, we remembered that, but above that were, were those who are loved by God, loved so much that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us. And so as we think about that, today is kind of the implication. If this is all true about who people are, all people are, who humanity is, and who we're called to be, what's the implication? How are we to live as the church of Jesus Christ? Now, there's a lot of ways to answer that, but for today, what we want to focus on is this call that's consistent throughout Scripture for God's people to be people of compassion. We're going to talk about this call to be people of compassion, a call to compassion that God gives. gives to his people throughout time and history. And to, to illustrate that this morning, we're going to enter into a, what's probably a familiar passage, but Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, which is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so if you're willing, if you're able, I invite you to stand, open up the word if you have a copy of the scripture with you, but the words will be on the screen so you can follow along. But we stand to honor God because we are listening to Jesus' words as uh, we read from Luke's gospel. Again, Luke 10, verse 25 and following. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, this powerful teaching of Jesus, we thank you for these words. And we thank you, as even just reading this parable again, Lord, our hearts are, are challenged. Um, challenged to, to live into the example, Lord Jesus, that you set for us. Lord, may you give us eyes to see and, and hearts to, 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 to listen as, as we hear from you this morning. Continue to be at work forming us and shaping us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. God's people say, amen. Parable of the Good Samaritan is one of Jesus' maybe most well-known parables. In fact, uh, just that, that, that phrase, Good Samaritan, has, has entered, has become synonymous, has entered kind of the broader culture, has become synonymous with a person who, who does acts of mercy and compassion. Good Samaritan has, has come into our modern vernacular, right? Uh, you'll hear people who aren't necessarily Christians, but they'll use this term and say, well, that person was just was being helpful. He was just this random good Samaritan, right? And, and certain organizations have adopted this, this word Samaritan, like Samaritan's Purse or Samaritas, just some organizations that came to mind. Uh, it is one of the more well-known parables of Jesus and, and has influenced parts of our society, even without people necessarily knowing it. As I was reading the, the parable this week, I, I, I just began to imagine, because the parable, as I was reading, it just kind of ends uh, after the, the, the Samaritan drops this man off, uh, talks to the innkeeper, and leaves, and I thought, imagine what would happen when he returned. And so just join with me kind of in a fun little thought exercise, and let's imagine what would happen when the, the Samaritan returned to the inn to check on the man who he helped along the road. Imagine this scenario with me. If the parable continued, and after a few weeks, the Samaritan returns to the inn, uh, the man at this point has mostly recovered, and then we, we, we kind of get kind of enter into this beautiful exchange between the Samaritan and this Jewish man. Uh, the, the, the man who is helped offers uh, all kinds of gratitude and appreciation. In fact, he's so grateful to the Samaritan that he offers to, to reimburse his expenses. But of course, the Samaritan graciously says, no, it was my pleasure, my friend. And they enjoy a meal together. And, 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 and all of a sudden, this unlikely friendship forms in the first century between a Jewish man and a Samaritan man who would have been enemies. That's one way it could have played out. Or imagine it played out this way. After a few weeks, the Samaritan returns to the inn. The man, again, is mostly recovered. But when he sees the Samaritan step into the inn, he immediately begins complaining to the Samaritan man complaining about the service that he received at this inn. And didn't you know there was a, a much better inn down the road and the service was subpar? And yet the Samaritan gets the bill and this man has racked up quite a bill because he's been ordering all kinds of extravagant food and services at the inn. I don't know if they actually did those things at, at inns in the first century, but let's just pretend. 
And then he goes on from there and begins to complain to the Samaritans saying, I got this pain in my back and I think it's because you threw me on your donkey and walked along that bumpy road and so I think I'm going to need a chiropractic appointment so if you could cover that expense that would be great. And then he goes on and says I got to get home and so if you could cover those expenses I've lost some wages. I'll just need you know how many denarii and, and, and then we'll be good. And by the way I'm in a hurry so I have to go. Imagine it playing out that way. Now step out of our imagination let me ask the obvious question. Which of those two men in those scenarios would you rather show compassion and love to? We kind of chuckle. We know the answer, right? And I kind of just and we, we kind of just play with this little uh, thought experiment because the reality is, as we think about what this call of Jesus to love our neighbor, this call of Jesus to show compassion to our neighbors, the, the truth is that sometimes it's easier than other times. Amen. Sometimes, sometimes there are people that you're just so excited and eager to help because they're grateful, right? They're, they're, they're thankful and there's an appreciation and there's others who it's, it's hard because they're not. Compassion can be easy and sometimes compassion, showing compassion to others can be really hard. It's, it's easy when a person is grateful, when the cost to us is relatively low, I mean, if we're honest, right, if it's pretty convenient, low, low time commitment or low financial commitment, if it, it, it's, it's easy when it feels good and you feel like you're making a difference and you can feel good about it or there's a relationship there. Or even if, if you get a little bit of recognition, like, look what I'm doing, like that's a little bit of a bonus, it can become easy. But sometimes compassion can be really hard, like if the person's ungrateful or entitled, if the person that you're helping, nothing really changes in their life and it just seems like this cycle and nothing's happening and it's ongoing failure and it's this long journey and you never know when the commitment's going to end and, 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 and it's, there's just times when it can be hard. And so we, we hear Jesus' command to love God with everything we are, to love, to love our neighbor as ourselves and yet if we're honest, I think, at least for me, some of those negative experiences lead us to want to place some sort of condition on this second command to love our neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, but, you know, if this, that, right? We, and and if, if we're really being honest, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one. Uh, but we can kind of relate to the expert in the law who says this in Luke 10, verse 29. Did, did, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And behind this question is, you're, call, you're calling us to love our neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? Like, who do I have to love? And behind that is like, do I have to love them, right? We can kind of sympathize because compassion and showing love can be hard. And so this morning, what I want to do is just explore the scriptures, not only the teaching of Jesus, but explore the scriptures and ask the question, well, well are there exceptions, right? Who, who does God call us to show compassion and love toward? And then what is, are there limits to, to how far compassion and love can go? Because let's explore these honest questions are, yeah, but do we need, right? Let's just have an honest look. And maybe you're kind of are guessing where this is going to go, and you're probably right. But let's begin that journey. Who is my neighbor? The first question, who is my neighbor? Who am I commanded to love? Who am I called to show compassion to? 
Well, let's just take the whole scripture and let's do a quick survey, beginning with the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament that we call the Old Testament, right? And the Hebrew Bible consistently reveals that God has a particular interest in looking after and a heart for those who are the most vulnerable in society during that ancient time, right? And, and that group of people in the Bible that consistently gets repeated over and over about God's care and concern for the vulnerable would be the orphan, the fatherless, uh, the widow, and the, the, the sojourner or the foreigner in the land. Let's just look at a couple of passages. Let's begin with God's concern for the vulnerable. Here in Deuteronomy 10, uh, we, we read this. He, referring to the Lord your God, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. Or jump ahead to, to Psalm chapter 82, we read this. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Again, the, naming the most vulnerable in society. That includes also the poor and the oppressed. And we see this consistent concern in the Hebrew Bible for the most vulnerable in society in, in that time. In fact, not only that, but there was provisions made in the law, in the Torah, uh, to, to that, that commanded the people of God to do certain things that would care for the poor and the needy among them. Uh, let's look at some examples. Leviticus 19, we read this. Again, a, a farming, an ag agrarian culture, and so most people were farmers. We read this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave some on the corners. Leave the gleanings that drop behind. Uh, he, they continue to write, do not go over your vineyards a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Or in Deuteronomy 24, some more laws that, that, are, that show a concern and a care for the poor and needy and vulnerable among them. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. A cloak is, is what keeps you warm at night, so don't deprive someone of that. When you're harvesting, leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Again, in the law of Moses, so the, the, the religious but also rule of that nation, the nation of Israel, was provision and commands that provided a security blanket and social services, if you will, for the most vulnerable people in the land. And you have to understand that this was, a, this was a radical concept. Like no other ancient civilization had such provisions for the most vulnerable in there. If you were vulnerable in most other ancient societies, too bad. Babylon, too bad. I, I read one somewhere that if, if, you were in one of, if you were vulnerable, you would want to be living in the land of Israel because there was provision, there was compassion. Why? Because God's people were to reflect and represent a God of compassion, a God of concern and a God of care, particularly for the most vulnerable. I mentioned uh, just a few weeks ago we did a study of Ruth. 
And, and, and Ruth, and this is in the Believe study, you read some of Ruth, and I'm not going to read that, but if you're not familiar with the story of Ruth, Ruth is like, is like the living example of these laws and this, this heart of God, this compassion of God. If, if you're not familiar, Ruth um, is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi's uh, husband dies. She, they move to an, a foreign land, them and their two sons. Her husband dies. Her sons get married to Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, and, and, and then the sons die. And, and suddenly, Ruth or Naomi has nothing left except for her daughters-in-law. She compels them. She says, stay here. There's nothing for you back in Bethlehem. But she returns to Bethlehem. Ruth shows this incredible loyalty and stays with her mother-in-law. And then we have this beautiful exchange between Boaz, who, who's leaving the corners of his field, and Ruth is gathering the gleanings of the grain. And then Boaz becomes this in this beautiful representation of compassion and love, and, and it's this beautiful love story. Anyway, it's this beautiful, go read it. The, like, may, may that be your devotional this week, maybe. It's just a beautiful example of the, God's heart for the most vulnerable in a society. Anyway, as I was thinking about some of our, our, our yeah buts, like yeah, our objections to love, love, love our neighbor, I think this is kind of a level, like a base level, where most of us would agree, Right? Like, we should, we should care. Even the world, we should care for the most vulnerable in our society and our culture, for, for widows and for orphans and for refugees. Like, we should, we should offer care and support because they have nothing, right? And we should, we should care for the poor among us. In fact, uh, it's, it's why um, even, even in, in broader culture, like, there'll be GoFundMe pages, right? And raising money for people that have lost everything. And those, those things take off because we want to do something. We want to help. Or there's these videos of people offering mercy and compassion. And, you know, you can question the motivation. Why are you filming this? But, but we're drawn to that because we're drawn to these stories of people showing compassion to the most vulnerable in our society. This maybe isn't where our objections arise. But then Jesus kind of builds off some other things in the, in the, in the Hebrew Bible and he kind of raises the stakes a bit. And that's where we get to Luke chapter 10. Jesus comes along and takes it to a whole nother level. Not only are we to show compassion to the vulnerable, but he says even to our enemies when they're vulnerable. Think about this parable that we just read. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus answers the question of who is my neighbor? In other words, who am I to love with a simple answer? Well, your neighbor is the Samaritan. Now, many of you know this, but uh, in that first century time, like, that would have been a startling answer. When Jesus says, but a Samaritan, like, an original audience would be like, what? That was not what we were expecting, right? Because the Samaritans were the sworn enemies of the Jewish people. The Samaritans were from the, re the, the region of Samaria, from descendants of the northern kingdom who assimilated with pagan nations, making them hated, despised, betrayers of the covenant. And so Jewish people would avoid Samaria because they despised the Samaritans. And so when Jesus says, who is your neighbor? Who am I called to love? And the answer is obvious. He can't even say the name. He can't even say the Samaritan, the one who had mercy on him. That is radical. That is Jesus saying, you are to love your enemies. And notice how the Samaritan loves this Jewish man. The Samaritan comes along in this parable. He sees a man who he knows despises him. He sees a man beaten and almost dead on the side of the road who he knows hates him. And yet he shows compassion and sacrifice to bring this man back to health. Here suddenly some of our maybe objections and exceptions to this command to love, if we're honest, maybe begin bubbling to the surface. 
love my neighbor, love, love my enemy? Yeah, but do you, do you know what that person has done? Do you know what they, what they stand for and what they represent? Uh, okay, they're, they're broken and they're humbled and they're, they're, in a, they're, they're vulnerable right now, but you have no idea. You, Jesus, you want me to love them? And what Jesus says is, yeah, we're, we're called to extend compassion even to our enemies. And yet as I was studying more of, of, of the scriptures, suddenly I realized Jesus doesn't even stop there, though. It's hard for us to imagine, but he actually takes it another step. He goes a step further. Jesus calls us not just to love enemies who find themselves vulnerable, broken, and humbled, but Jesus calls us as his followers to even love our enemies who are actively against us. In Luke chapter 6, this is also, Jesus also gives this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, but Jesus says this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We like the last part. The other part's tough, right? And we read this and we're like, wait, what? Now, For some of us, maybe this language has become familiar, but like really think about what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is calling us as followers of him to do. If we're honest, this just sounds too radical. Love our enemies? Okay, maybe I can get, get to the point of loving my enemy if they're vulnerable or if they've been broken or if they've been humbled or if they're, if they're repentant. Like, okay, maybe. But when they're actively attacking us and against us? Jesus, that's, that's too much. Like, what do you, when, when, when they hate, we're to do good? When they curse, we're to bless. When they mistreat, we're to pray for them. When they persecute, we're to pray for them. And it doesn't matter if they're striking us on the face or stealing for us. We're we're called to love them, to do good, even to lend to them. And we just, if we're honest, we're like, what? Isn't that just enabling bad and poor behavior? Like, here is, this is likely maybe the most radical teaching that Jesus offers. A command to love our neighbor Uh, but to love not just our neighbor, but to love our enemy. And here's where, if we're honest, all those objections and exceptions that, yeah, but, like, rise to the surface. In fact, if you're like me, I I just want, can I, could I love that way? Can I actually love someone that way? It just seems too hard, and it seems foolish even at times. We, We wonder, how could someone love this way? How could someone possibly show compassion and love to enemies? Enemies who are, who are actively throwing insults at them, even striking them, physically assaulting them, striking them on the back or on the, on the head, even, even torturing them or, or putting them to death by maybe hanging them on a cross. And suddenly we stop in our tracks. We're like, that's what Jesus did. 
This is the example that Jesus set before us. And if we're honest, we recognize that this is hard. And it's the highest form of love. It is perfect love. Which is why in Matthew's account, in chapter 5, he ends with, Therefore be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect because this is a love that none of us is capable of, particularly on our own strength, right? But it's exactly, it's precisely what Jesus did for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we think about our exceptions and, yeah, but do we really have to, whether we're able to or not, when we, the, the testimony, the, the breadth of scripture tells us that we're called to love our enemies and there's no exceptions and no one is excluded from that call to love, from that call to compassion. Jesus' description of who we are called to love is exhaustively inclusive, right? It includes every single person on this planet. We are called to love them. But what about other factors? I've covered who, who is my neighbor. What about other factors? Surely, surely though, there's some, you know, there's some how far can our compassion go and, 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 and what, is, what does compassion actually look like and, and are there things that, 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 would disqualify, right? Are there things that could get us an out of showing compassion, maybe? Well, let's talk a little bit about what is compassion and what are the limits of God's call to love. Compassion for us, it's love experienced and expressed. I think about this word compassion, love experienced and expressed. First, it's something that we experience. It's something that we feel. It is an emotional response. In our passage, uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 27 through 53, Jesus used a very specific and unique Greek word for compassion, one that's not used all that often. The Greek word is splankizomai. Say that, you don't have to say that one. That one is splankizomai. That's a fun one. Uh, splankizomai is actually from the noun uh, splankon, which uh, is, a, is a noun that literally just refers to one's internal organs, like your innards, like your bowels or your heart, your liver, like just think your gut, right? And so, but when we think about compassion that's related to our gut, I, I think we get it. Because have you ever been moved to the point where you just feel like sick to your stomach or you feel it in your heart, you feel it physically? That's the kind of emotion, that's the kind of response this word uh, hearkens to, right? What I found interesting is I was doing a little word study on this word. It's not used that often and it's only used three times in Luke's gospel. And so I just thought, well, let's check out where this word is used. It's used first in Luke chapter 7. Jesus uh, comes across a funeral procession for a, a young child. It's the son of a woman who's already lost her husband. And Jesus, we're told, feels this kind of gut level splankizomai, compassion for this woman and her son. And then he raises the son to life, right? It's a beautiful story. Uh, I don't know about you, but as I was thinking about that, my mind immediately went to Ruth. Like, that just seems like all these echoes to the book of Ruth. The second time that this word is used is Luke chapter 10, our our parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's, it's the word, maybe not the best translation, but he took pity on him in verse 33. The Samaritan feels this kind of gut-level compassion for the man who he finds beaten and half dead along the side of the road. And then the other instance is in Luke 15, another well-known parable, the parable of the prodigal son, where, where the father, when he sees his son who has wished him dead in his demands, sees his son a far way off, he felt this kind of deep level compassion. And what I found just fascinating or beautiful was that in these instances in Luke's gospel, compassion is extended to 
a widow and her son who's fatherless. Compassion is extended to a, a vulnerable enemy in Luke chapter 10. And then compassion is, is extended to a son who has turned his back and made himself an enemy by wishing his father dead. And yet compassion, compassion, compassion. It is this emotional response. It is something that we feel deep within our gut, which is why the, 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 the amount of news that we take in and, and how we are so aware, we talked a little bit about this last week, but knowing ex- all the things that are going on in this world, and Joan beautifully prayed and, 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 and represented that heart of compassion, it could become overwhelming because we feel it. And we hear about the wars that are happening and, and how many people are being killed and dying in Gaza or in Ukraine, and we're, our hearts and our, our bodies just feel this pain. And it's complicated then because we don't know what to do with it. It's why sometimes we, we, we tend to like protect ourselves and avoid the pain of others, right? And we see something that's tragic, maybe someone on the side of the road, and we just don't even want to look because it just we feel it deep down within us. That's part of what compassion is. It is an emotional response to the suffering and the brokenness in this world. But it's also something that we express. The second part of compassion is it's action. It's lived. It's a, it's, a, it's a lived response. Let's talk a little bit about compassion in this sense. Here the meaning, I think, of the English word compassion is really helpful. Uh, passion, which compassion is uh, the prefix C-O-M, passion, and passion, compassion. Passion refers, yes, it can refer to deep emotion, but passion also can refer to suffering. It's why... Um, the, the Jesus' crucifixion in his final hours are often referred to as the passion of the Christ. It's referring to the suffering of Jesus Christ. So passion can mean, yes, deep emotion, but it can also mean suffering. And this prefix, C-O-M, just means to with or alongside. And so compassion in the English language, in its most basic sense, just means to suffer with. To suffer alongside someone else. That might be emotional, but that also might be more tangible, physical, right? To suffer with. Compassion means that we get down on the ground level with those who are suffering. We feel their pain. We share in their burden. We sacrifice and we suffer with them. Whether that's emotional suffering, we cry and we weep with those who are weeping and we experience their pain because we love them. Or we get down and we help them and we, we, we suffer a cost for helping people and showing compassion. Look at Luke 10. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Look at the cost that this Good Samaritan endured by helping this man. It cost him resources. It cost him time. It cost him a whole lot of inconvenience. An unknown sum of money. He just says, whatever, whatever it is, I'll pay it. And if this future commitment, he's going to come back. Like it cost this Samaritan deeply and dearly to show compassion to this man. And of course, we think about what Jesus endured. As we think about our objections and, and the things that we say, yeah, but what? But man, loving this person is just going to cost. I, I, you know, do I have time? It's going to, it's going to be too much. And the testimony of Scripture is, yeah, <laughs> compassion comes with a cost. We're going to feel it. And, 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 and we're going to suffer with people. That is what love is. That is the example of the gospel, that love and compassion, according to Jesus. Like, there's no limit. There's no bounds to the, the extent that he would go to show love and compassion to those in need. 
Friends, the reality is God's call to compassion is hard. And it will cost us something. Sometimes it's, it's the people that God calls us to love that's the challenge. Sometimes it's everything that comes with that journey that becomes the challenge because there is a heavy cost that we bear as we come alongside. To lighten their burden, we take on some of that burden, right? Compassion can be hard when a person's ungrateful, entitled, deceitful, or even manipulative. Compassion can be hard when the, the cost to us, the money, the time, the convenience is high. Or the, the, the cost can be hard when we've experienced disappointment and hurt in the past from helping other people. Like, those are all real things that I, I want to name. But it seems like when we look at the example of Jesus, like Jesus doesn't leave much space for our objections and our, and our yeah buts. We are called to love. We are called to show compassion. How we do that? What are the best ways? Are there better? Yeah, of course. That's a different conversation. But the call is to love and to show compassion to all people. Several years ago, I got a call from, uh, from a man named Bill. Bill was a friend. And uh, Bill needed a, needed a ride to the south part of uh, Grand Rapids. A little background on Bill. Bill was a, a man I, I met and came to, to love uh, at church, uh, just a dear brother in Christ. Um, much of Bill's life, he was, at the time I met Bill, he was in his 60s, uh, but much of life for Bill had been a struggle, you know, and he would own that. A struggle with, with addiction in his past, a struggle with maintaining consistent housing, uh, all sorts of just different health struggles, a weakened heart. Um, but Bill found a, found a home at our church, and uh, on a Sunday morning, he, he gave his life to Christ after a Sunday service. Just a beautiful moment. Months later, he made profession, a public profession of faith at our church. Another beautiful moment. And uh, for, for years, he attended our Wednesday morning Bible study, uh, men's Bible study. And there were just a handful of guys who loved Bill, who showed compassion to Bill, uh, who Bill loved. And there was just this beautiful relationship with Bill. But on that day, years ago, Bill called me and needed a ride. And, uh, and so I, I, I drove over um, to where he was staying, and I, I parked in a parking lot. I, I saw Bill. Uh, we got together, and, and we started walking. And uh, we started walking through the woods that were next to the parking lot. And as we were walking deeper into the woods, what I realized is this is where Bill's staying. And so we, we, we get into the woods, and we're just talking and kind of our friendly banter, and we just slowly begin to gather up his things, his sleeping bag and his tent and some of his personal items in the woods, and we pick those up, and, and we walk back to my car. Um, on the way to where he's going, we, we stop, we get some lunch, enjoy just some, some, some each other's company, um, and then I drive him to the south part of Grand Rapids, and I bring Bill to a budget motel. Um, south of town, we get out of the car and gather his things, and I walk with him to the room where he's staying. And we open the door, and the room is darkened, and there's a couple other guys in there, and it, it wasn't the best scene. <laughs> but we exchanged pleasantries and dropped his things off. Door closed. I walked back to my car, and I started driving home. And on that drive, I just, I just felt this pit in my stomach, like, really? Like, is that the best we can do? Is that the best I can offer? 
is this making any kind of difference in, in Bill's life? And it's not the outcome that I would have hoped for, right? Well, during my, during my prep this week, I was just, I was, as, as I was just doing this kind of thought exercise of, of imagining, because I just noticed, like, the parable ends, and, and we don't really know what happened to the, the good Samaritan and the man. He just kind of, I'll, I'll do whatever, and, and there's just no ending. Like, there, it was, I was just realizing that for the first time because it had become so familiar. Jesus doesn't include what happens to the man and the Samaritan, what happens after this whole exchange. Then I thought, well, of course, it's not a mistake. Can I get an amen? Like, Jesus didn't make a mistake there. So why did Jesus not include what happened later? And I don't know if this is the answer, but maybe part of it is because outcomes are more important to me than they are to Jesus. And outcomes, at least when you start thinking about motivation, why do I love my neighbor? Why do I show compassion? And what I realize is sometimes I hold a little too tightly to outcomes. Well, I'll help you if you make sure you do this. Do that. Like, I want to control the outcome. But our motivation to help is not found in outcomes, things turning out the way we think. It's not found in getting the appropriate amount of recognition and praise for our good deeds. Our motivation is not about, about feeling good when we help someone, though sometimes we feel good. It's not based on the merit or the deservedness of the person that we're helping. Because when those things become our motivation, what I find for myself is I end up with a whole lot of yeah buts, excuses, and objections, and I become a little bit bitter. Our motivation to love and to show compassion is the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's exactly what Jesus has done for you and me. He loved us enough to extend mercy and justice, to show compassion and love to each of us in a way beyond what we could even imagine. And this, friends, this good news of the gospel, this reminder of what Jesus has done for us gives us the strength and the power and the persistence to continue to extend mercy and compassion to others while releasing other motivations like outcomes to God. I was struck by these words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me just read them to you. They're on the screen. I'm just going to read the first couple verses. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. One of the ways that we show compassion to others is to show comfort and encouragement, right? Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble, with the comfort we ourselves received from God. When we think about the call to show compassion, that doesn't come from our own willpower and our own strength, but it comes from what we've received in Jesus Christ. And so friends, as I reflect on that day many years ago with my friend Bill, you know, the reality was I, I had limits what I could offer Bill. But what also is true is that Bill had limits on what he wanted from me. What we call that is, we call that friendship. We call that relationship. And uh, at the end of the day, what he needed and what he wanted 
was a ride and a sweet McDonald's lunch. He felt loved. I appreciated my brother, even if I struggled at the end, because that's the call, to walk alongside one another in the name of our, Je- of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask God for that strength. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, your word and your command, and, and they're not easy. But, Lord, you, you, you bring us comfort because, Lord, the call of the Christian life is not to simply be comfortable, to have a life of convenience. But, Lord, it's a, it's a call to love. It's a call to extend compassion. And oftentimes, Lord, to extend compassion, to extend love, it, it costs us something. So, Spirit, I just pray that um, in these moments or maybe this week or reflecting with, with friends and loved ones, uh, Lord, that you would be prompting our hearts. Lord, to, to bring to mind someone in our lives that, uh, that you're calling us to, to walk with and to have an open mind of what that looks like. Lord, compassion can look like many things. And so, Lord, that you would, you would show us how we are to, to extend compassion. It, yeah, it can be in financial ex- assistance or it can be certain tangible things, but it also can, can just be showing up and sitting with someone who's going through a tough time. So, Spirit, speak into each of our lives Give us discernment and give us the courage that we need to follow you in the ways that you call us to live. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our Fusion community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.